Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Can y'all hear me? Yes. I'm like, don't let me talk to myself. What's going on? Um, so I think it's evident that the Spirit of God is here this morning. It's kind of heavy in this room, and it's about to get heavier. So we got to bear this weight together. Cool? All right. Look, Roman series, we got Romans 13 and 14. It's, got, it's a lot to get through, but we're going to do it. I don't have any points for you. We're just going to roll through the text. We cool? All right. If you don't like that, oh, well. Romans 13, verse 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Nobody has authority unless God grants it. He's the only one who has authority to create and grant authority because he's the creator. And the reason he can do this is because he's the potter who has power over his clay, as we saw in verse 9, I mean in in chapter 9. He can use his clay as vessels for whatever he pleases. So Paul says to submit to the government because God established it for his purposes. Now, why in this context is this a problem? Who rules the world when Paul is writing this? Rome. Who sits on the throne of the empire? Caesar Nero. This is the same Nero who will begin to massacre off Christians a few years later. He says, submit to this. Now, to the Gentile believers in this Roman church, this might have not been a big deal because they were used to having Caesars. They were of this culture. But to the Jewish believers, this was a this was problematic. They were not of this culture. They hated this government. They wanted to be in their own land under their own kingdom. But Paul tells them to submit to the empire's authority because ultimately God granted it. Paul here, in the following verses that we'll read, he's talking about what government is supposed to be like, what God intended it for it to be. Now, if the government was commanding them to do things that aren't of God, of course they resist that. But but if the government is doing what God ordained it to do, then we must submit to that. They must submit to that. Let's make one thing clear. Authority in its essence is a good thing. Yes, people in authority sometimes abuse it, but that doesn't take away from the fact that by nature, authority is good. It's good because it's a reflection of God's characteristics. God has authority over everything. Jesus made it very clear that when he resurrected and sat back up on the throne, he's king and lord over everything in heaven and on earth. We sit under his authority. No ifs, ands, or buts. Whether you believe or you don't believe, you are still under his authority. There's freedom in being under good authority because if things get out of hand, it doesn't fall back on you. It falls back on the one that's in charge. For example, there's freedom in being under the authority of Jesus because at the core of your salvation, it doesn't fall back on you. You can't save yourself. 
No matter how many times you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to get myself together today. No, you're not. You can't do it. We tell ourselves this every day. Christ is responsible for your salvation. He's responsible for the salvation of his people. Therefore, we are free to follow him with the guidance of the spirit when we stand and when we fall. Your salvation is complete in Christ because you are under his authority. God's intention is for governments to have authority so that when things hit the fan, they're responsible to handle it, not the citizens. Citizens are free to be citizens. That's the intention. God ordained government as an act of mercy to humanity. What? Can you imagine what things would be like if there was no governmental authority? No laws, no policies, no police, and no justice. We're already damaging ourselves with corrupt governments right now, throughout the world, throughout history. Could you imagine if there was nothing at all to stop anything? You can see multiple, multiple times throughout the book of Judges that when Israel had no king, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We destroy ourselves without any authority. That's not good. We have distorted views on what's good. Everybody. We live in a society where live your truth, what's true for you is true for you, do what makes you happy, or mainstream ideologies, and that's a problem. Everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes, and then we wonder why America is blinded by chaos. If we had no government, there would be nothing restraining us from being as chaotic as we have the potential to be. All right. So God's creation of governmental authority is an act of mercy, preventing us from self-destruction. Now, on the flip side, God can use government as an act of judgment on humanity. God used the Roman Empire to operate on both sides of the coin. He allowed the Romans to take over the land of Israel as judgment against the Jews because of their prior disobedience to God. But even in his judgment, he still had mercy on them because the empire still allowed them to still be Jews. They could still be Jews in the midst of the biggest empire that the world has ever seen. They could keep their Mosaic law, their culture, their synagogues, and the Second Temple, which was the hub of Jewish experience and life existence. That's mercy in the midst of judgment. The potter uses the clay of the Roman Empire to fulfill his promise to Abraham. How, Hakeem? I will gladly tell you. That through Abraham's seed, the nations will be blessed. The Roman Empire was used to spread the gospel so that Gentiles could be grafted into the faith that started with the Jewish Messiah. How backwards is that? Let's continue. Verse 2. I know that was all one verse. Let's go. We're going to get through it all today. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It's a mouthful. Paul is simply saying that governing authorities have been given authority to protect law-abiding citizens and punish lawbreakers. When he says in verse 2 that whoever resists authority will be judged, he's talking about lawbreakers. Okay? He says if you break the law, you're resisting, which means you'll be punished. Pretty simple. The expectation is for both Jew and Gentile to be good citizens, and the same goes for us today. And if we go back to the thought in verse 4, the government is given the sword to protect the flourishing of society. God works through them to protect, to protect society, and when they fulfill this purpose, they are being good servants of God. Don't worry, we're going to get through it all. This means that Nero was a servant of God. And though the empire and Caesars did horrendous things, which I'm not dismissing, but when they worked to make society flourish, that was a good service to God. Even though the empire was corrupt, corrupt, one of its main priorities was to maintain peace throughout the empire. That's for the benefit of the people. That's a good thing. And likewise, when the American government works for the good of the American people as a whole, not just certain pockets of people, but as a whole, it is acting as a good service, a good servant to God. Y'all with me? All right, page three, let's go. However, as Josh Butler says, the great theologian, the government cannot redeem sin. It can only preserve shalom. For example, we have, we have shooting issues in our country. As we speak, schools, restaurants, unarmed people, public events, homes are all targets. It seems like there's one every week, and there is. Yes, we look to the government to protect our society because they're in charge, yet the truth is their protection doesn't redeem someone's desire to kill somebody. They can only put parameters around it to preserve the peace of society. Someone has, has had the desire to kill, but they haven't because of the fear of punishment, not because of a change of desire. Not only do we get to push our government to act, but we need to pray for hearts to be changed. We got to get to the root of it. Yes, pass laws to make stuff stricter. Absolutely. We need to get this thing under control. But at the same time, we got to pray for the spirit of God to do something about the desire in the first place. Come on. God cares about the well-being of society so that governments, their job is to maintain it. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities and ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Paul tells these believers to pay their taxes because the authorities are God's servants, and taxes will enable them to do what God ordained them to do. Respect them, honor them, pay your taxes. 
And he's following Jesus' teaching on rendering to Caesar what's Caesar's. You don't have to give more than expected, and you must not give less than expected. Now, both Jew and Gentile believers are wrestling what it means to be a church under the state, but not of the state. And it hasn't changed for us 21st century believers in America. When we are more loyal to the state over the church, we have rendered to Caesar way more than what belongs to him or her. This is why we have American nationalism. Here it goes. We have sacrificed for country over community, state over the church. But according to Romans 12, as Michelle said last week, we are called to be a living sacrifice for community over country. We about to press some buttons, so strap up. Yes, God called us to be good citizens and to submit to our governing authorities, but that submission is nuanced. Our commitment to country is nuanced. When the government is acting opposite of God, we resist that. When the government says we're going to war, we can step back and say, hold on a minute. You, can, you now have the, have the privilege to actually think about whether or not you want to join in or not. You have the right to have an opinion now. Your commitment to country is a matter of conscience. If you want to kneel or if you want to stand during the anthem, it's nuanced. It's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of conviction. If you want to vote Republican or if you want to vote Democrat, that's your conviction. Just don't put Jesus in your box. That's all I ask. But our commitment and sacrifice to community, to the church, it isn't nuanced like that. Our king commands us to love our brother and sister, to serve them, to lay our life down for each other. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. This is what we do. This is who we are. There's no nuance in that. You don't get to choose. I get to love my brother today or I get to love my sister today. No, you do it. Period. It's a command. It's not a a suggestion from Jesus. Hey, if you feel like it, go love your neighbor. No, dog, it don't roll like that. This is who we are. Verses eight. Oh, nothing. Oh, no one. Any. Oh, no one. Anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In community. The debt that Paul says is perpetually owed is love. He just got done telling them, pay your taxes. That's a debt. But he's saying in the church, you owe something all the time. And that's to love each other. For these Jews and Gentiles and for us today, we owe each other love and it never stops. When love is given, the law of God is fulfilled because the law provides guidance on how we ought to love each other. You love somebody, you ain't going to kill them. Murder. You love somebody, you're not going to steal from them. You love somebody, you're not going to covet things that they have. 
This ain't original to me. It's in the book. The debt that we owe to country is nuanced. Think about the NFL anthem protest. And I know y'all like, why we always got to go there? Oh, well. It's constantly said, how dare these players take a knee after the debt that soldiers have paid for their freedom. The protest is not aimed at disrespecting our soldiers. I come from a lineage of men who have served this country well. And I honored them. I loved them. We honored them as a country. This is not about the soldiers. This is about the state of country. Which is not land of the free. For who? The refugee? No. The immigrant? No. People who have been oppressed? No. For who? And we're talking about absolute freedom for who? Free means free. Right, Teresa? Or you was looking at me, so I was like, hey. <laughs> if you don't agree, email me if you want to. But let's just be honest. If we're going to talk about the debt game, let's play that game then real quick. What about the debt that we owe to the natives whose houses we, 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 we built? No, whose land we built houses on and that we live on? What about the debt we owe to African slaves who built the economy that we spend money on and take from every day? Am I going somewhere? Come on. What about the Asian Americans who built impossible rail railroads and mined the state of California? Yeah. Yeah. Or what about the European immigrants who helped build the industrial system? Yeah. The, the Europeans who were counted lesser than... Or, or the Latinos who carry a significant weight in our workforce today. Yeah. Illegal and legal. Or what about the women who birthed our kids, raised our families, work, prevented the workforce from collapsing during world wars? Yeah. And the list goes on, but I ain't going to go. I don't bow down to country, I bow down to God. We must use discernment in our submission to the state like Daniel under Babylon. He knew when to submit. He knew when to resist. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Be woke. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we believed. <laughs> Slid that in there. So cute. Anyway. <laughs> The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul calls them to be woke salvifically and behaviorally. They anticipated the return of Christ. Therefore, they were to be committed to walking right with God instead of sleepwalking. And the same goes for us. The blossoming of our salvation at his return is closer than ever before. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, it'll happen in our lifetime. But it's closer than everybody before us. So we can't be walking in darkness. We have no time for it. Because we are children of light and our country may walk in darkness, but our community must walk in light. How do we be in country and not of it? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
In loving our neighbor, we must understand that some things are a matter of conviction in our community. Don't believe me? Let's go to chapter 14. Verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Not, 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 let not the only one, I can't read, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Many things arose in this church that threatened the unity of this Roman church, this Roman body of believers. There was, there was conflicts between Jew and Gentile, and just conflicts in general over little stuff, non-essential matters. That's what this is. Eating food is amoral. Eating a cheeseburger is not a moral act or an immoral act. So Paul says, let's get to the nitty-gritty of these non-essential things that you guys are fighting over. Some believers, especially the, the Gentiles, thought that they could eat whatever. Pork chop, bacon, patty, lamb. What else people eat? Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> While others, especially the Jews, were vegetarians, probably in fear of eating food that was sacrificed to animals. I mean, to idols. Weakness and strength here are not about who has more faith and who has less faith. It's not what Paul is talking about at all. The stronger believer understands their liberty in Christ and can participate in something amoral because they know it has no bearing on the relationship to God. Eating food does not make you further or closer to God. Whether you're vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, or a straight-up carnivore, that has no bearing on your relationship to God. It's non-essential. The stronger believer's conscience allows great freedom, but the weaker believer's conscience allows less freedom. Not that one is better than the other. There's two different ways of looking at this. They don't understand their freedom in Christ as well as the stronger believer. But in this church, the stronger believer despise the weaker for their food customs, while the weaker judge the others for the lack of food customs. But they're, they aren't supposed to judge at all. Because God can keep the stronger believer from falling in sin while participating in an amoral activity like eating meat. That's Paul's argument. Some had reverence for some days over others. Others didn't. When it comes to non-essential matters in the community, every believer has the freedom to make up their own mind on it. Okay, Hakeem, how does this go to 21st century? Because we're not fighting over eating meat. If you think drinking alcohol is not the way to go, you're free to have that conviction. I'll have rum and coke myself. But you don't have to join in today. If you want to be a carnivore, barbecuing every weekend, cool. 
If you want to look formal every Sunday, cool. These are non-essential matters. If you want to vote Republican or Democrat, have your convictions. Jesus never says, check this box, check this box, check this box, check this box. He doesn't fit into our boxes. Some things on this side, he'll agree with. Some things he'll say, absolutely not. Some things he'll step on this side and say, yeah. Some things, absolutely not. Stop trying to put the king in our 21st century American boxes. He doesn't even fit in first century boxes. Come on. Mm. You are free to have your convictions on non-essential matters. Just don't try to make your conviction law. Don't try to make your conviction absolute. Understood? Okay. Verse 9. I mean, verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this, for to this, and Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Whether one chooses to do or not to do it is to be done for the Lord. That's the motivation. If you don't want to drink, do it in devotion to, the, to Christ. If you want to be vegan, do it in devotion to Christ. From beginning to end, we belong to God because Christ has experienced both sides of the coin. He's experienced life and death. Therefore, he is Lord of both sides of the coin. In this life and when you're six feet under. And everything after that, he's Lord of both sides. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Both the weaker and the stronger brother, believer, are guilty of the same offense. They've judged each other unwarrantingly. Like, we've done that. We do this now. Everything I'm reading is first century, and it hasn't changed for 20 centuries after that. We are judging each other off of little stuff. It's stupid. Don't do it. Don't do it. Paul levels the field by saying all will stand before God to be judged. There's no need to judge each other over non-essential stuff because God will handle all of that. At the end of the day, you will give an account for you, not for Jimmy, not for Jessica, for you. Not for Hakeem, not for Michelle, for you. Not for Mike Dean, not for Michelle Lang, for you. Not for Teresa or Sarah. Or Cheryl, for you, you are accountable for you before God. So instead of us judging each other, we should be looking at ourselves and going, okay, 
Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Instead of passing judgment, we must be devoted to never causing another to stumble. We must be considerate for each other by not flaunting our liberties that cause another to go against their conscience. What do you mean, Hakeem? I'll tell you. For example, if you feel free to listen to various genres of music, dope. But don't flaunt that liberty in front of another who has a conviction to only listen to music solely devoted to Christ. Now, don't judge each other over your musical preferences. It's music. Music in and of itself is amoral. There's content in music that makes it immoral. There's content in music that can lean it more moral. But at the essence of it, it's amoral. Mike Dean playing these keys is not a moral thing or an immoral thing. We listen to it and we go, oh, okay. He played well, by the way. You, know, you ain't better than me, though, but whatever. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> but if you're the more liberal one when it comes to music, Paul says to be considerate of the other because if they listen to music, despite their conviction, conviction, it might cause them to stumble a little bit. I'll come back to this later. Verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. Paul's convinced that nothing is intrinsically clean or unclean in Christ. But if someone is convinced that something is unclean, then let it be to them. Free to have that conviction. A stronger believer who puts an obstacle in the path of a weaker believer might set them back temporarily or even do permanent damage to their conscience. Liberty in non-essential matters must be limited by love. Does it make sense? Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. Don't worry. Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers can legitimately speak of our freedom in Christ as evil if it results in the causing of stumbling for somebody else. Lots of people ignore our faith because they watch what we do. We can do all of this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But your actions might be saying something completely different. Your children watch you. We watched our parents or those who raised us. And we come to conclusions based off of what we witnessed, what we observed. There's no way that my father, my, le my legitimate father, could tell me he loved my mom. I watched how this man treated this woman. Beating somebody Verbally abusing, some, verbally abusing somebody, manipulating somebody religiously, all of these things, that's not love. 
I watched this with my own eyes. And yet you have the nerve to say, I love your mom. Words say a whole lot, but actions speak even louder. But by the grace of God, things change. My parents aren't together, but they do have a loving friendship. 3,000 miles away. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not about the little things. It's about the upbuilding of God's people. Verse 20. Oh, wait, let me read 19. Sorry. Wait, let me read 18. Hold on. Did I not do it? Okay, anyway. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But if it is wrong for anyone to make another stump, it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I don't have time to unpack all that. Let me give you a, a brief thought. If the goal is to build each other up, we must not tear down the work of God. God is working on people that we see before us and behind the scenes. If we cause each other to stumble, we're tearing down what God is doing. We think we're working in, in, in line with God. We're working complete opposite with God. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about my convictions. Josh, let me, let me tell you, this is what you need to be doing. When you come to service, you need to do this, 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 and this. This is how you need to play the drums. This is what you need to be wearing when you play the drums. This is how you need to hit the snare. That's stupid. God works through Josh on the drums. That's his vehicle of worship. If I'm telling him that he needs to do X, Y, and Z, I might be causing him to stumble, causing him to, to question his ability to play drums, the quality of the drums, all of that stuff. I'm getting in the way. Personal liberty shouldn't drive others away. That's destroying God's work. Do everything in faith. Do everything in faith. We did it, yo. We made it through two thick chapters. I mean, thick. I got three really quick thoughts, though. One, submit to the governing authorities, yet your submission is nuanced. Jesus submitted to the authorities of Rome, but he was nuanced when he did it. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's, render to God what's God's. It's a little bit of nuance there. Which the cool thing was, he said, whose inscription is this? Caesar's. All right, then give it to him. Whose inscription is on you? God. 
Jesus. You give to God what belongs to God. You can give this little coin to Caesar, but you belong to God from beginning to end, on this side and on the side to come. Number two, we have to love each other, no exceptions, community over country. You cannot say you hate your brother and say you love God. That's first John. Number three, be sensitive to each other's convictions. This does not mean, this is me circling the back, this does not mean you have to cater to the whims of someone's legalism. We all got a little bit of legalism in us. But that goes back to making your conviction law. You don't have the right to do that. I don't have the right to do that. Who do you think we are? Don't cause a sincere heart to stumble. We got some work to do. We got some work to do. We got to get over our racial convictions. We got to get over our gender convictions. We got to get over our political convictions. Not that you can't have them, but we made a lot of them law. The woman can't do this. A minority or a majority person can't do this. Republican and Democrat, y'all better stay on the same, on different sides of the line. Don't ever cross. Oh, you're Christian and you're Islamic? Don't cross that line. We got to get over us. Freedom is what we got under the authority of Christ. You are free to build relationship with someone who's of a different faith. And you never know, Christ might be working to bring them over. And you might be getting in the way. I'm going to shut up, but I'll pray real quick, okay? Spirit of God, thank you so much for this body of people. Teach us how to be dedicated to community over country. Teach us how to submit to our country. Teach us how to be sensitive to one another. Teach us how to be on par with you and your your work on somebody's heart. Father, we pray that you would change the desire Get to the root, get to the heart of the issues in our country. Get to the bottom of public shootings. Get to the bottom of racism. Get to the bottom of sexism. Get to the bottom 
of socioeconomic disparities get to the bottom of it all. Father, we thank you. In the authority of your Son, we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.